0: Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets
1: practice.
0: What's up, guys? Before we get into the podcast, we would like to say that our sponsors are Built by Strength. They have third-party tested, and they have really good products. Check them out. This week on the podcast, we had Andres Vargas. He is a master degree holder in exercise science, and he's also Lane Norton's coach. It was a really good conversation, but we had some internet problems along the way. So we just went ahead and cut out the dead space. So if you see a little bit of jumps, that's what it is. All right, man. Go ahead and int- introduce yourself.
2: Yeah, so uh, my name is Andres Vargas. Um, I'm the owner of the Strength Cave, which is an online training and nutrition company. Um, I do online coaching. Um, You know, besides that, um, let's see, my background is in exercise science. I got a master's degree at the University of South Florida uh, where I met you, Brandon, Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to do a master's thesis project which is basically like a a training study and that's where I met you you were part of that and uh, I was sort of at the time contemplating going into academia doing a PhD becoming a professor but uh, through the training study and through just like training people on the side I got really interested in that whole thing the online coaching space and working with people to help them improve their fitness help them improve their lives um, and that really resonated more with my background um, of where I was coming from. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I do now. Um, work with clients one-on-one and, um, you know, definitely, uh, definitely a rewarding area for sure. So how
0: did you find yourself in the exercise science space to begin with?
2: So I guess I got to go all the way back to what got me into training and, 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 and fitness in general. So I was at one point in time, um, as a, as a kid, pretty overweight. I was obese. I was 300 and some odd pounds. I'm only five, seven, five, eight. If I stretch myself out on a good day. Um, I always say five, eight, because I want to have that extra inch, but I think if I'm honest, I'm like five, seven and a half anyways. Uh, so I was a big kid and, um, you know, despite the fact that I was really active as a, as a kid, I, I, I worked out as far as like playing basketball and riding my bike with my friends and doing all that kind of stuff. But my diet was awful. Um, you know, unfortunately. I, um, so yeah, I was a big kid. My My activity level was, was good. I mean, it's not that I was lazy. It's just my nutrition was terrible. Mm-hmm. I was um, kind of addicted to fast food. That's all I really like to eat. Um, if I did eat, you know, homemade food. It was really only the variety that's not good for you. Okay. Um, I didn't like vegetables. Uh, I didn't like drinking water. I thought that soda was basically water. You know, that was my water. So the calories piled up and piled up and piled up. And before I knew it, you know, I you can't act, you can't out exercise a bad diet, and that's right. that's kind of the proof right there with me. But one day I decided enough was enough with that, and uh, you know part of it was, you know, not getting any attention from the fair sex, um, not, um, not being able to keep up with my friends playing any sports anymore, it was kind of just playing a lot of video games and stuff. And I just knew that I had to change my life because my, my family on both sides suffer from diabetes and some different health, chronic health conditions. And I knew, you know, if you stay down this path, you're going to, you know, increase your chances of those and increase the chances of getting those early in life. Mm -hmm. So um, one day, I just like kind of woke up and like flipped the switch. And I said, Okay, I'm not gonna eat fast food. I'm going to try to eat healthy, whatever I knew healthy was at the time, because I have no idea. And um, just start doing something. So I joined a gym, I asked my parents if they could pay for a gym membership, and they, they obliged. And all I did was go and get onto the elliptical machine and do like, at first it was like 30 minutes. And then eventually I got up to an hour. And then eventually I transitioned to the treadmill for like an hour. And I would do that every single day for like six months. And sometimes I threw some weightlifting in there, but mostly it was the cardio. And I lost, let's say, I was like 125 pounds in about six to eight months. And so the transformation was quick, which was nice for me because, and, and for anybody out there who, who, who might be trying to lose weight or who has lost weight, like when it's slow, it's kind of like uh, discouraging. Mm-hmm. So they say lose weight. And I, and I, even preach today, like you should lose weight slowly and, and try to um, for long lasting results. But sometimes I think with the bigger, with the bigger people, like I was,
1: mm-hmm
2: you need like that quick weight loss because it's, it's encouraging and it's motivating and it, it keeps you going. But we can get back to that. I'm kind of trying to circle back to the original question you asked me. But so that was kind of what got me into working out and fitness. And, and I wanted to learn more about it because I realized I didn't know anything. I was like, okay, all I do is run on the treadmill and I eat chewy bars and apples and stuff. That's what I thought like was health. Um, which there's nothing wrong with those, but it's just, you know, there's protein and other things you need. Um, so I was like, okay, let me study this a little bit. So I started getting into like bodybuilding.com forums and, and searching online. And, and I was lucky enough to start working out with a family, a family friend of mine who him and his brother were really into lifting weights. And his brother was like trying to be a professional wrestler in the WWE. And at one point had tried to be like a Navy seal So he knew a little bit more than I did. And they taught me what they knew. And that was was kind of like fueling the fire even more. And then I decided, okay, well, at the time, I was trying to decide what to do in college. Uh, I was an undergrad at Arizona State University. So I decided I've one day kind of looked it up and realized that there was a degree that could teach you more about exercise science. And at ASU, it was kinesiology. So I took that up even though at the time I was like in a life science degree, which, cause I was trying to be a doctor. Um, and so I switched to kinesiology and from there it was like a love affair with learning more and more and more. And eventually I dropped the whole medical school route, um, and decided to do a master's degree. And then, like I mentioned uh, to you earlier, I was trying to do a PhD and all that kind of stuff.
1: So
0: now, I don't know if it's just my own like, experience with it, but a lot of people get into our field in just sheer interest of maybe implementing the own knowledge they learn for themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people don't really necessarily think about the end game in the sense of like, what will I do as a career? And I'm just curious, did you consider like, okay, I'm going into kinesiology because I want to be a coach? Or what were you thinking at that time?
2: So originally, I, I, even though I had switched to kinesiology, I was still very much interested in becoming a medical doctor.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I thought kinesiology was a good way to learn more about like, functional anatomy and physiology and stuff, because those were the prerequisites that you had to take for my courses anyways, and those, they happened to line up really well with prerequisites for medical school. So I I, I did it for that. And I just thought, well, it's a bonus. I'm going to learn more about something I really like, which is exercise. Um, And then, you know, I started learning on bodybuilding.com and stuff from people like Lane Norton, um, people like Alberto Nunez, who you might be familiar with. Um, And I, you know, at the time, online coaching was still something that was really new. And Mm -hmm. only a few people did it. And it was more so for nutrition coaching rather than, Uh, strength coaching Mm -hmm. Um, and so I didn't really think of that as a legitimate option until later on after I had gotten into grad school and was seeing that the rise of online coaching was it was getting more and more popular and that's kind of it was it was just before grad school when I realized that that might be a legit option Mm -hmm. Um, and I, the reason I didn't go to medical, I actually applied to medical school and got accepted to medical school. Right. But I was doing a lot of shadowing with doctors and just realizing that it wasn't exactly what I thought it was, mm-hmm. at, at least with the doctors that I was shadowing. And it um, wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with people like in the trenches and kind of incite change before we needed medical intervention as opposed to after. Um, and so uh, that's, that's when I dropped that. I got interested in online coaching, but was still sort of in the sense, um, not really, I was thinking of doing online coaching as like a side thing with being a professor, Gotcha. Um, because uh, I had started teaching actually at ASU, I had started teaching anatomy and physiology lab, and I really liked teaching. Um, and so I was like, well, I could be a professor and I could research and I could teach And then on the side, I could do like online coaching, because again, at the time it was still kind of newish. And then long story short, I got to USF and still really liked the idea of becoming a professor, but more and more as I got through it, the idea of online coaching really started to become, um, you know, a a legit option for me. And I started doing it on the side while I was in grad school. And then it kind of snowballed from there. Now, you mentioned that in the forums, you would
0: read about Lane Norton's work. And if I remember this correctly, he was actually running one of your programs. Like, how does that, how does it feel? You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm his coach right now. Um, so I still coach him and uh, coached him for like two, three years now. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I met him when I got to USF. So I met him before I went to USF. And I had gone to one of his seminars that he used to put on. And I asked him for advice on where to go to where to go to grad school. And he suggested I go to USF because of Dr. Campbell. And so that's what I did. <laughs> uh, I applied to a lot of places, but it ended, but USF ended up being the best choice. And I met Lane when I was at USF again, and he was my, one of my thesis committee members mm-hmm. um, for my thesis project, and um, so we kind of hit it off, and then after I graduated, he was looking for a new coach, and he just messaged me and said, hey, you know, I I really liked what you did uh, with your study. I really like that you're, you know, young and, and, and fresh out of school. You, you're up on all the new science, and I'd really, you know, liked, to hire you as my coach, and, you know, at first, as a young guy who's just starting out in in the coaching space, looking up to somebody like him, Mm -hmm. it's like, you, you like, pinch yourself, right, like, (laughs) what the hell, like, this is a guy I used to look up to, or still look up to, and now he wants to hire me, you know, Um, and so, yeah, it's really crazy, it's a crazy feeling, now it's kind of, like, I don't want to say, like, oh, I'm used to it or whatever, because mm. I still feel like imposter syndrome all the time. But, um, you know, Lane's just a friend, and now he's, you know, I, I treat him the same way I treat all my other clients, which at first is hard because sometimes you have to tell your clients that they're doing the wrong thing, and you have to, like, challenge them on it. And so when it's Lane, and at first it was, like, that aura of who he is, you're kind of like, Ugh. As a young coach, you're like, I don't I don't want to tell him anything, you know, that's going to make him mad. But now it's like, dude, you're being a dumbass. So we got to do it this way,
0: you know. I'm sure he appreciates that because yeah. like, I mean, also like, you know, you hear him on maybe like Joe Rogan and stuff like that, where he's mm-hmm. like, you know, he's citing his knowledge back to back. And he's sounding like somebody you can't even teach or somebody you can't call BS on. And he is a human being. And like, as you said, you got to tote that line where, my boss isn't doing exactly what he should be doing for optimal performance so maybe I should bring it to his attention.
2: Yeah, it's um actually just read a really cool book called Outliers mm-hmm. by um, um, um yeah. Gladwell. Yeah, you probably read it. Great book. And in that book he talks about the cultural differences between the way different different cultures will speak up and talk to a superior. Mm-hmm. Um and and um so What's interesting is in America, if the subordinate really knows that the that the superior is doing something wrong or, is, or needs to um, change the direction, they have no problem speaking up about it. It's kind of like a cultural thing here where if you have good reason, you speak up and there's a way to bring it up. You're not going to be like, hey, dumbass, we do, you need to do it this way. But, um, you know, you're going to bring it up in a certain way. But see, in, in, in my culture, in Mexico, and, and, and a lot of Latin cultures, there's a really large gap between s- superiors and subordinates. Mm-hmm. And even if your superior is doing something really wrong, and you know it, it's like you don't say anything. Mm-hmm. It, 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 even, it, in that book, it's funny, because even in life or death situations, they won't speak up, because it's so disrespectful. So I had to kind of overcome that, too. Even though I grew up in the United States... But I have a lot of culture in Mexico where Mm -hmm. that is a thing. So sometimes I find myself being timid and I had to kind of overcome that. But um, yeah, at first it was kind of uh, like you bring it up like, well, you know, if if it were me, I might do it this way and this might be the better way to do it. Lane. And uh, now it's kind of like, no, that's not going to work. You need to do it (laughs) like this. But that also comes with him and I being friends and kind of peers now. Right.
0: Right. Now, you know, you are, you are programming for somebody that I would consider a top or elite athlete. And Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, maybe what would be the difference between somebody of his caliber to somebody that's more so gen pop, but serious about the weightlifting space?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I would say the skeleton and the fundamentals of the way I work with those two clients is essentially the same. It's just about what I end up giving them as their program and and what they're able to do in their training that's different. So my philosophy around getting somebody when I get a new client is is very much the same as like the intake process of a, a chiropractor or a physical therapist or a doctor is that I need to know everything about that person Mm -hmm. and I I need to know as much information as possible, what they've been, what they've been doing before they came to me as far as training is concerned, what injuries they have. I need to assess the way they move, their biomechanics. Um, If, you know, even if they don't hire me for nutrition, i like to know what their nutrition is like. Are they they eating enough? Are Mm -hmm. they getting the right nutrients? Because all those things, physiology and, and, and anatomy and all that kind of stuff, biomechanics, really plays a role in what I can and cannot give them. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, what changes is if somebody like Lane comes to me and they want to be um, you know, winning medals at national levels as far as powerlifting is concerned, then there's going to be a certain way I write the program. It's going to be powerlifting heavy. It's going to be looking at what can we do to increase your weak points in your main three lifts? Um, Because that's the main priority and accessory work is going to be, you know, aimed at also getting those main three lifts or, or at least the number one goal is to get those three lifts bigger. And then Mm -hmm. the goal after that is to make sure that we're not um, neglecting anything that may crop up later and cause him injury or cause him to have a sticking point with those main three lifts right Mm -hmm. with a gen pop person usually and i work with a lot of them their goals aren't quite so rigid as far as like i want to get to this much weight on the squat bench and deadlift more Mm -hmm. so it's like i just want to be stronger and get and and gain muscle and look better and so for them it's usually about okay so what does stronger look like to you Mm -hmm. what do you mean by that um Are there certain lifts that you're talking about when you say you want to be stronger? Um, and, And sometimes, you know, like it's not necessarily like a conventional deadlift or a back squat with a barbell. Sometimes it's about how, how strong can we get your trap bar deadlift? How strong can we get your goblet squat or your dual kettlebell front squat or something like that? So like I said, the fundamentals are still the same. It's just, through what, whatever their goals are and whatever their needs are through the assessment process is what changes the way I write their program.
0: Now, moving forward in today's COVID situation, hmm. uh, you got to get very creative, yeah, especially as a yeah. coach that is designing programs for these Gen Pops and let's say, well, Lane probably has access back to the gym, but I'm curious, what are you doing for the people that have no access or are too afraid to go to the gym?
2: I'll tell you what, man. When when uh, when COVID hit and all the gyms were shut down, I was like in scramble mode because I didn't have I have I have some some people who have home gyms. Lane has a home gym. I have mm-hmm. a few other clients who have home gyms, and so they were fine. I just write them their normal program because that's what I was used to. But I, I mean, ninety percent of the people out there don't have a home gym and and don't have much equipment at home at all. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: I was in scramble mode trying to figure out how do I write programs that are going to at least maintain what their work was beforehand, you know, and then keep them sane because they're locked up at home and what else do they have to do, but maybe get some workouts done. And so for about the first, even all the way up till I left on this road trip, which was like a month and a half ago, I was doing a lot of recording of, of, of myself doing work uh, exercises at home with anything and everything I could find that could be useful for lifting weights. And in fact, on this road trip, as a little side tangent, like I brought, all I brought with me were some rings, some, some gymnastics rings, a weighted vest, some resistance bands, and then everything else I've been using for working out has just been stuff that I needed for the road trip. For example, I have like these two seven gallon water jugs. So that's about 60 pounds a piece. And I got a, um, like a little shovel handle. So I can feed that shovel handle underneath the uh, gallon jug handle and that becomes like barbell curls. Or I can do overhead, you know, tricep work. Um, You know, and, and I haven't been able to do like bench pressing and stuff, but you know, I've been just working on body weight stuff with pull ups and stuff like that. But so essentially I did all that kind of stuff like in the months that led up to this um, in order to have videos. Cause one thing I like to do is always have videos for every single exercise that I give to my clients. So that way they know exactly what it is I'm asking them to do. Cause if I tell you do a dumbbell single arm row, you're probably going to be able to do that. You have really good knowledge of, of, of exercises. But if I tell somebody who's a gen pop, who doesn't have a background like us, eh, who knows what they're going to end up doing. Right. So, um, I recorded I think, 200, 300 videos of different exercises using home equipment. Using you know some some were dumbbells, some were like um, I used like a, a pickaxe and resistance bands to do like resistance band bicep curls and overhead presses and all that kind of stuff. I created some some home workout templates for people that were really cheap for if they wanted like a quick home workout that they could buy. And then for my clients, I essentially just tried to mimic the same movements that they were used to doing in the gym, just with stuff that they could use at home. And then I encouraged them, if you see dumbbells for sale, Mm -hmm. pick those up because they're invaluable. If you see a kettlebell for sale, pick those up. Um, And, and, you know, as you probably remember, uh, like adjustable dumbbells were like 300% markup on the on the market is like $2,000 for a set of adjustable dumbbells, which is ridiculous. But, um, and so, yeah, it was challenging. I won't lie. It was challenging. That's something that as a coach I hadn't faced with before. I hadn't, um, I hadn't had to be that creative in a long time, but it was kind of fun. I had a lot of fun with it. It gave me purpose during lockdown that every day I was like, okay, what am I going to record? Anyways. So, um, it gave me purpose to be able to wake up every day and started start to try to think of some creative ways to get some workouts done. Every day, I was like, okay, what can I do today? What kind of exercise can I come up with today? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of my clients really appreciated it. Um, you know, it helped them stay active. It gave them something to focus on besides what was going on. Um, but, yeah, it was a challenge did you find
0: yourself becoming more of like a motivator when in these times? Because I feel oh, yeah. like I, I love fitness and there was times where I would just kind of like stare at my gymnastic rings and be like, well, <laughs> oh, maybe not today, you know? So I was just curious how that interaction changed because of
2: <clears throat> Yeah. You, it was surprising to me how many people were struggling with motivation. I guess not surprising because of the times and just the crazy stuff that was going on. But, um, I I can say it from two perspectives, from my perspective and from my client's perspective. From my perspective, um, I love working out so much and I love movement so much at this point that even though I didn't have the gym, even though I had to like, you know, rough it with what I had at home, I still loved it. Mm-hmm. And maybe part of that was because I was tying it in with my profession and having to mm-hmm. come up with stuff for my clients. But it was still invigorating to me to do, to get to, to go into my garage, pull my truck out and figure out what I was going to do that day. It was still fun, but I could see that for my clients, you know, who this isn't their life, like this mm-hmm. isn't fitness is a part of it. Um, but then they have their regular stuff that they have to do as far as their job and stuff. It's like, their job isn't tied to fitness. That It was really hard for a lot of them. and And, and I got a lot of emails that were like, you know, Saying honestly, I'm really struggling right now. Mm-hmm. I can't find the motivation to work out, and so I had to. Ke- I had to get into their mindset a little bit. and Think to myself, what are some ways that that they can trick themselves into thinking that they're not just at home? Because I think a big part of it is when you're stuck at home. Let's say, let's say you know, for you're in an apartment, even like your apartment's only so big,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so now you've got. This is your living space, this is your workspace, and this is your workout space. There's no separation of those things. Mm-hmm. And so you, it starts to become, like, how do you switch the focus from, you know, this is my couch where I'm going to relax to, okay, I'm going to use this couch to work out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I had to start coming up with tricks. And so, like, some some ways that I told them is, like, let's let's, as silly as it sounds, like, go... Get changed and start, start listening to music like you would going to the gym. Go get changed into a workout outfit like you would, like, let's say if you go into the locker room. Mm-hmm. And start, like, just envision that in your mind. Like, you're walking into the gym, you're um, getting your workout clothes on, you're starting to put your music on, you get your pre-workout, you, you drink that. You know, <laughs> I even told some of my clients, like, get into your car and do a lap around the block, as if the same way you'd have to drive to the gym, right? Mm-hmm. And all those things, it's the same way that works in lifting sometimes, there's just like little mental cues that they don't seem like much on paper, but for some reason, they start triggering and opening doors in your brain that change the way you're thinking about things. And it tend, it, it tended to help a lot of people. And I think the people that it didn't help were just, you know, the people who we're kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, delving into uh, quarantine depression. Basically, where right. you know it's just too much to overcome. But uh, I, I would say, and, and and this is what I tell a lot of people is when I was when I was an undergrad, my least favorite subject that I had to take was sports psychology. Hated it. I didn't like it. I don't know why. I just didn't like it. I wanted to. T- I wanted to study. You know the nitty gritty stuff about physiology, and I did not want to bother with mind stuff, but mm. then when I got into coaching, I realized that this job is a lot of mental, a lot of psychological a lot of what I do is helping people overcome psychological blocks and hurdles and coaching and it, it, like the the easy part is writing the program and getting them um you know physically better at whatever they want to be better at it's it's actually being kind of like their counselor in a way Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and i say that kind of timidly because i don't want to sound like i'm trying to be a psychologist i'm not like i'll refer them out always but it's being that that person that's encouraging them when they need encouragement and and telling them when they're doing when they're making mistakes and all that
1: kind of stuff so so you've been on a road trip for about a month and a half. Um, yeah. I'm curious as to how are you staying on track with your nutrition? Like what are some tips and tricks that you can recommend people that are going on vacation or yeah. something? Because that's something people struggle a lot with. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's a great question. And going along with with this whole quarantine thing and how I came up with a bunch of different ways to work out, uh, one thing I mentioned in a podcast that I did on my podcast was that Um, I realized through all of this that the gym isn't necessarily a a prerequisite for attaining any kind of fitness goal. Um, It is if you're trying to get stronger at barbell lifts and and things that require that kind of stuff, but you don't necessarily need the gym to stay fit. You don't necessarily need the gym to keep harder muscle or even gain muscle or gain strength um, because sometimes like if you can use some your body weight or you can use like things you find that are heavy like sometimes those train you a little bit better even than than barbells and I'll give you an example why Um, I don't know how much some of the stuff I'm lifting weighs could be less than what I'm used to could be more I have no idea but if it's more there's no way for my brain to conceptualize what I'm lifting right Mm -hmm. when you put 135 pounds on the bar your brain kind of realizes this is how much I'm expecting to lift if you put 145 if you try to lift something that's 145 pounds over your head and you have no idea that it's 145 pounds your brain has no way to limit you Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're you're lifting more than you thought before and our brain does do that Mm -hmm. The science has shown that the brain puts limiters on what you do because it it's actually a protective mechanism so that you don't snap your your crap up, right? But, um, uh, anyways, all that to say, I found ways to remain uh, active during this road trip by just using what I have around me. I mentioned earlier the forty, the the five, no, seven gallon jugs that I've been using for like barbell curls, fake barbell curls. I've been using those for like overhead presses. For ha- uh, high reps, I've been using them um, for rows. So they're 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 just they're just low enough to the ground that I can do some rows, like some bent over rows and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been using them for like goblet squats or cossack squats, which are what way hard and mm-hmm. like really kill my legs. So that's been the way I've been stimulating my legs with heavy work is doing the cossack squats, which are like the side-to-side squats for anybody who doesn't know. Um, um, I, I got some gymnastics rings that I've been hanging from like a tree or from a beam or even from the roof rack on my, on my SUV to do rows, to do pull-ups, to do dips. Um, I wear my 45-pound vest that I brought with me um, to make those even harder if I need to. I've been doing push-ups with the vest on Um, and doing just doing anything I can to make it harder once it becomes too easy so at first it was just push-ups and then it became decline push-ups and then it became um, hand release decline push-ups where I'll go from there I guess I'll just have to slow down like three seconds down hand release and then go back up so it's just about how do I keep progressing with what I have around me. Nutrition-wise I was tracking macros for a long time, um, so um, up until the road trip, I was still tracking macros kind of loosely at times. But at this point, I've been doing it long enough to kind of know around what I'm eating. But when you're on a road trip like this, and you're you know you don't have to have a I don't have a kitchen. My kitchen is like a um, a foldable table that I put a Coleman grill on and 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 you know do my cooking. Yeah, I'm not going to bring my food scale with me and track that way, man. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't even opened my 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 macros or my fitness pal. Uh, I decided I wasn't going to track on this road trip. <laughs> not, my apologies, man. I, I think it's my internet, but um, it's all I'm good. Actually, you know, I'm like in an I'm in an Airbnb, so I'm at their mercy of of whatever internet they paid for. But don't worry. Um, what I, was gonna, what I was saying is I started eating, quote unquote, intuitively, even though that's like a hot button word these days with nutrition.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I just, I know about how much I should be eating, you know, portion wise. Um, I, I probably have been under eating, if I'm honest, based on the amount of activity, because besides doing the workouts that I can a couple times a week for just maintaining the muscle that I, that I want to maintain, um, I've been doing so much hiking on this trip, that's really what a lot of this trip was about going to see the national parks, going to see a lot of the countryside that I hadn't gotten to see. And invariably you're going to do a lot of hiking to see a lot of that countryside. So there's been days like I'll I'll hike like 10 miles. And then I might have to do that three, four days in a row. So for those three, four days, I'm not really doing resistance training because I'm not going to add a workout on top of (laughs) 10 miles of, hiking 2000 feet elevation and stuff like that um but all that activity you know you you think to yourself like when i'm at an airbnb i realize how active i am when i'm out there because when you're in an airbnb you wake up you just roll out of bed you go you know whatever you whatever your routine is in the morning like you're not really that active when you're at, at, at home you know you get on the couch you do your work stuff like that when i'm when it's out on the road, it's like I get out of my, cause I've been sleeping in my SUV. <clears throat> so I roll out of the SUV and then I immediately have work to do. Cause even if I have to go to the bathroom, I got to walk either into the woods to go to the bathroom or walk to the, you know, bathroom facility, which is usually, I don't know, it's a couple hundred yards or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then when I get back, if it's time to eat, I got work to do because I got to get all the stuff off of the top of my truck or out of the tent start setting it up so i'm lifting heavy boxes i'm setting up the table i'm getting the coleman grill going i'm walking back and forth to my truck or the bear box wherever i have my food stored Um, i'm getting all that done then um, you know obviously you eat then you have to tear it all down put it all back then i drive to wherever i'm going to go for the day and that's walking around all over the place all day so basically besides driving like i'm not I'm not standing still all day.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm moving all day. So you can imagine how many calories that's probably hurting. Mm-hmm. And it's probably fair to say that I'm not able to keep up with that calorie output with right. the amount of calories I'm putting in. And so I've definitely lost weight. I don't know how much because I haven't, I haven't weighed myself, but visually when I look in the mirror, the lines are coming in more the abs are coming out more and stuff like that. Um, so I would say that if, if, if somebody is going on a road trip like this or they're going on vacation, um, it's probably better. And I've found this with my clients. It's unless you can guarantee that you're going to be able to keep track of like macros and stuff, Mm stress-free, it's probably better to let yourself just do what, do what you're going to do. Keep yourself in check with the habits that you know, As far as portion control, if if that's what you're worried about, like gaining a bunch of weight, if you're going to be on a trip like I'm on or or like a a week or two trip where you're backpacking and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. chances are you're not going to be able to out eat the amount of calories you're burning if you're like backpacking and stuff. Because, you know, if you've ever watched those shows like um, Alone or Naked and Afraid or whatever, like they rarely, it's rare that they don't lose weight, right? right? And part of that is because they have to scavenge for food, which I don't, but like they're burning a ton of calories. So um, hopefully that answers your question. And hopefully that gives some people maybe some permission to let themselves be a little bit more relaxed. Because I feel like one thing that people do is they get they get so strict on themselves and they, you know, they they beat themselves up for not following their rules all the time.
0: Right. Now, and you mentioned that you intuitively eat. And then earlier in the show, we talked about how you went through a time where you were obese. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we always talk about how like fat cells are hard to get rid of once you develop and when you're younger. Um, I'm just curious, do you, do you have different hunger sim- singles? Or do you think you are usually hungry when you're really not?
2: Yeah, that's definitely something I struggle with. And so that, that was actually something, if I'm honest, I was nervous about with this trip. Mm-hmm. Even though I had decided that I was going to not track and that I was just going to eat whatever, you know, eat intuitively, um, I was nervous about it because in the past, and now it's been 10 years, 10, 11 years since I've lost the weight. But even even up to like a couple of years ago, I still felt like my hunger signals were not, wow. not, not really, um, they were still skewed. They're, they're not like normal, like, like everybody else that I know. Um, I have a tendency to want to eat more than I should because Mm -hmm. of having been obese and probably because I have a lot of fat cells that are shrunk, but want to be bigger because that's what they used to be. Um, And so I found that the best way for me to fight that is just to make sure that I'm, that I'm busy most of the time. It's, It's when I get bored and it's when I have downtime that those hunger signals really start to uh, amplify. Right, um, and so like on when when I'm out there all day hiking around, seeing different things and then having to work and all that kind of stuff when I can, I don't really have a lot of time to feel hungry or think about food. Um, and so there's a lot of time. a lot of days where I'll eat in the morning, and then I don't eat until basically dinner because mm-hmm. I'm just doing stuff all day. Maybe I'll have some snacks like an apple or something like that to, to really, if I feel like a really bad hunger pain. Yeah. But a lot of times um, I've found that it's boredom, I guess, for me. And it's, and it's probably horm- like some hormonal cascade that's telling me to eat as well. But yeah, that's so- definitely something I still struggle with and I have to be more cognizant about it. And that's really why I've continued to track For a long time, even though I may not necessarily need it. But I found that if I let myself relax on tracking, Mm -hmm. um, that hunger signal starts to win more and more and more.
0: See, I'm glad somebody like, you know, touches upon it and talks about it because, you know, like I have nieces and nephews that are coming up and I can see that they're putting on some weight here and there. And I'm just trying to explain to the parents like you might be setting them up for something that they might have to be dealing with years down the line. I mean, you mentioning that it's been 10, 11 years and you're still dealing with residual effects is absolutely... That's crazy to me. I thought, because, you know, you read about Lane Norton's uh, material about how they do eventually, you know, the shrink and they could go away over a very long time. But I didn't i didn't think more than 11 years.
2: Uh, yeah, it, it, it's been surprising to me as well, honestly. And, and maybe, you know, part of that is... Um, a lot of that is behavior, right? Learned behavior. There's, mm-hmm. there's that too, but um, yeah, you know, I noticed it early on after, after losing the weight that the, the hunger was, was definitely more pronounced. Um, there's been some times along these last 10 years where I've tried to, you know, maybe stop tracking and just say, you know, at this point I'm probably good, and a lot of times it would end up with me gaining weight mm-hmm. and having to go back to tracking and try to get that weight off again. But I definitely still feel like um, my body's default is to put fat on, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Like if I compare myself to my friends who are who have never been overweight, um, they have this, and, and you may be familiar, if you try to bulk, I'm sure there's a point where your body starts telling you like, mm-mm. I don't want to gain any more weight and right. your hunger goes away. That never happens to me. Wow. If I try bulking, my body's like, all right, rock and roll, baby, let's do it. And it never tells me like, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want to gain weight. I'll tell myself that because I see the mirror and I'm like, oh, I don't like the way that looks anymore. Let's, let's reverse course. But that whole like phenomenon where like I have clients who are like, oh, I just can't eat anymore. Like I'm not hungry. That's like foreign to me. I don't know what that feels like
0: that's very interesting that you put it in perspective like that
2: yeah yeah that's that's some that's one thing i've noticed with myself and i've noticed with a lot of people who have been overweight and and more so really overweight like more obese like if Mm -hmm. you're if you're like 20 30 pounds overweight um that doesn't seem to be as big of a problem but if you're like a 100 and something pounds like i was overweight Uh definitely i've seen a lot of people have to struggle with that and and who knows if it'll go away for me. I, I'm encouraged by how I've, how, uh, how much success I've had with my dieting strategy on this trip. And what I was going to say is, um, I'm hoping that the success I've had on this road trip with the dieting strategy that I've employed can, it's, it's opened my eyes a little bit to some of my own habits and some of the things that work for me. So hopefully it'll continue. And then that'll help me serve some of the people that I'm, that I'm coaching better as well.
1: A lot of it is habits and behavior, but we also can't rule out the physiology, right? For like Mm -hmm. hormones, like neuropeptide Y, you can talk about endocrine function, physiological like the fat cells. So, And like you've had success, but a lot of people don't because if you see the research, the obese people that lose weight, the majority of them end up gaining the weight. Mm -hmm. So besides tracking, what are some tips and tricks that you can recommend for someone that might be On, for example, like obese, lost the weight, wants to keep it off. What would you recommend besides tracking and physical activity? I know it's easier said than done, but. It is. I would say
2: that I think a lot of the reason that people have this, uh, or a lot of the reason, I think they say like 95% of the people who lose weight end up regaining it, right? Or 95% of diets don't work. And I think that a major reason for that is. The is more of an issue of the culture here in in America as far as quick fixes and as far as fad diets, as far as um, wanting instant gratification for things. And, and, you know, if you look at all the diets out there, they all have the same thing in common, which is, you know, somehow taking away either whether it's taking away a food group or taking away, um, you know, whether it be carbs, fats, whether it be taking away certain certain foods, regardless of whether they have carbs or fats. It's it's all at the end of the day, it's going to restrict your ability to eat calorie dense foods, which in the end brings your calorie um, um, your calorie intake down and you lose weight. Um, unfortunately, what happens is people take it to the extreme too quickly up front. Um, and they and they don't ever actually learn the fundamentals of what it means to lead a healthy life. So what I mean by that is um, a lot of people who end up overweight or obese say, um, they, do, they, they get that way because something in their way that they live their life is fundamentally incorrect and, and, and doesn't agree with um, having a healthy body weight, right? So for me, it was um, my nutrition was so poor, all I did was eat fast food, And so obviously that's not going to lend itself well to um, a a healthy body or a healthy body weight. And so they've spent years and years and years and years with the habits that they have that have gotten them to the point where they are obese or overweight. And so obviously we can't expect them to know instantly how to be healthy and, and maintain a healthy body weight. They have to learn that They have to spend months, years, whatever Learning how to do that, and it's, and they're going to make mistakes, and, and that's another part of it. I think is expecting people to be perfect at it right away. That's not the way it works, right? You gotta you gotta make mistakes. Sometimes you're going to slip up, and you're going to cave and have something you shouldn't have eaten, or or eat too much, or something like that. But then, how do we get back to the right track after that, we don't have a lot of education on how to do that or how to make that okay. Or, or, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, there's obviously physical activity. Um, there's obviously, um, eating better and having a healthy diet. Um, those are, those are fundamental things that you need to lead a healthy lifestyle and to have a healthy body weight in general. But there's also teaching people like the mental, uh, the mental aspect of it, like for me, yeah, I struggle with those hunger signals. I struggle with uh, wanting to overeat at times, and and not having that that mental stopping point when I'm if I gain weight. So, basically, w- w- the way I have to put it is like, okay, so I was born, or, or not born. I have a deficit in that sense, but just like everybody else has a deficit somewhere else, whether it be physical or something like that. And that's just tough shit for me. Mm -hmm. That means I have to overcome it. That means I have to have, I have to teach myself the mental strength and teach myself um, tricks uh, to motivate, motivate myself to overcome those deficits Mm -hmm. over and over again every day. And the fight kind of doesn't stop. Right. As far as I'm concerned to this point, I haven't gotten to a point where I can just relax and just, be normal because it, it may never come it might and that'll be a nice surprise but I've sort of relegated myself and realized and and, and become comfortable with the fact that I'm going to have to work hard at it forever mm-hmm. um and so I think a lot of people uh, they start out a a journey of weight loss and and they can only think of the end result when everything's going to be great. They're going to look amazing and it's not going to take any effort to maintain that. And I think the reality of the situation is they have to go into it, being honest with themselves that it's going to be hard forever. There never is going to be a point where you can relax and, and be uh, it's, it'll be a little easier when you get to your goal weight because you're not actively dieting anymore but that doesn't mean the hard work stops. Like you have to continue being disciplined. You have to continue working hard at it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I also like, you know, it's always going to, if you don't consistently make it a little bit harder, you're not going to progress, right? We're adaptable organisms, right? Mm -hmm. And what I would like to say uh, to agree with you is also like, maybe it's very hard to get me to go to the gym four days a week. But once that becomes a quote unquote healthy habit, it becomes my lifestyle. And now Mm -hmm. I'm on to the next thing that might be causing me stress. But now, now that I'm at this point, those four days a week, I don't even think about I'm in the gym because I, I know what it does for me, you know?
2: Exactly. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, What I tell people up front, like if they're starting to try to lose weight is um, another problem that, that we have in this country is the all or nothing mentality where you go from, okay, I don't work out at all and I don't eat healthy at all. But tomorrow I'm going to start working out six days a week and I'm going to get on this X, Y, Z diet. That's going to completely change the way I eat when that strategy works for some people. That kind of is what I did when I started losing weight. <clears throat> um, but that doesn't work for everybody. I don't, I, that was like a, uh, once in a lifetime, like flip, uh, flip of a switch. For most people, what needs to happen is, okay, I'm working out zero days a week now. What can I do to increase my daily activity? Is that literally going for like a 30 minute walk? Okay, I could do that. Go for a 30 minute walk and find 30 minutes in the day to go walk around, you know. And then from there, that becomes... Like you just said, I don't even think about doing that 30 minute walk. That's just part of my day. Okay. Now what can I do? Can I introduce a day or two per week where I go to the gym and lift weights for 30 minutes? Yeah, I could do that. Okay. So then we get to the point where that's just second nature. Don't even think about it. And then little by little, a year from now, it's like you don't even recognize who you are anymore because all those habits have built and they just become who you are. But I will say that for a lot of people, um, you got to keep that up, you know. As mm-hmm. there's going to be days where you wake up and you're like, ah, man, I don't want to do that today. Right. You know. And 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 there's a fine line between, uh, you know, uh, uh, something's wrong. I'm beat up. I really need a rest day. And I'm being I'm being a bitch and I don't want to do it. <laughs> you know. Because when you let yourself start to give in to that little voice that's like, yeah, you don't need to do that anymore. Look at look at you. You look great. You look fine. You've done well. You don't need to do it. That's when it's super easy. The road to get up that hill is hard and steep, and and takes a long time. The mm-hmm. road to get back down super fast. all slope. of a sudden, you go from being up here back down to I don't work out anymore. I have zero activity. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's very interesting because it's you know you can put that towards anything that have people have crutches for. You know, it could be smoking. I'm just gonna have one cigarette. And then, boom! They're back to full blown smoking again. And it's interesting. It's just you know we are creatures that are always going to find the path of least resistance, even yeah. if it's bad
2: for us. You know, you could almost think of it like an addiction to being unhealthy, like leading an <laughs> unhealthy lifestyle. Right? Yeah. Like there's, depending on what what uh, avenue you you buy into, like you know, there's like zero room for error when you're there room for error, right? So it's like, if you're addicted to something that is bad for you, like, let's say alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, there are some um, lines of thinking out there where you can teach somebody to casually drink, even though they have had a problem with drinking. But let's just say we're going the route of complete sober, um, being completely sober. That person can't touch it. They can't, they can't allow themselves that, like what you were saying, that little wiggle room of like, ah, it's just one drink man, So it will be fine because before they'll tell you time and time again, before they know it, that one drink turns into being, you know, super drunk every single day. Right. And the same thing can happen with, with habits towards, towards, um, you know, your fitness and nutrition. Yep.
0: Now to, to finish up this conversation, this has been great by the way um, is when it comes to your own coaching expertise and you know, like you, you have people that you said like, like to jump in and just do it all. And then you have some people that like to find out what could I do on a day-to-day basis? What is your, your philosophy or how do you implement a strategy to figure that out? And, and how do you do it? Because for example, like when I'm, when I'm with my clients, um, maybe I find myself, babying them too much? Like maybe I'm just doing too
2: small hmm. of
0: habit stacking versus some people that want to give me everything right now. I want to go.
2: Mm-hmm. So for me, the way I do that is, um, through conversations with them when, when they're signing up with me, when they're coming to me. So every time I have a new client, I have a, uh, either a phone call or a zoom call or whatever, a Skype call. And that's, it's usually a large time investment for me because I really want to get to know them and and how they operate. Mm -hmm. And so it's through sort of like motivational interviewing, if you've ever read into that kind of stuff, and just kind of figuring out how they respond to some of the questions that I'm asking them, how they're responding to, you know, what their goals and objectives are. Um, I have them fill out questionnaires ahead of time too. So that gives me a little bit of an idea because you can glean a little bit by the way someone's writing, whether they're timid, whether they're more bold, whether they're like, rock steady, ready to to kick ass or whether they're kind of like, well, you know, I'm hoping this works out. You know, there's different ways that people can um, tip their hand, so to speak, as to how they respond without me just being like, hey, so if I'm your coach, how do you want me to motivate you? You know, that doesn't work. So you got to figure out the person. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how I do it through conversations up front. And, and obviously learning the person as you go along, um, even, you know, after the first initial conversation, um, with the check-ins that I do with them on a weekly basis, um, how are, you know, how are they responding to the, the training and stuff like that? But how are they responding to me as a coach? And do I need to change a little bit of the strategy on how I'm talking to them and stuff like that?
0: Right on, right on. Now, where can everyone yeah. find
2: you, sir? Um, so they can find me uh, on Instagram. My, my Instagram handle is at the strength cave. Um, that's where I do most of my social media. Uh, I have a strength cave Facebook and a Twitter, but those are less used. Um, my website is www.thestrengthcave.com. Um, yeah, those are the main channels. You can find me um, DMing me on Instagram. My, my email is out there as well. If you, if you have an email to send, But I won't put it out there because it's starting to get to the point where people are spamming me. So I don't (laughs) don't like that. So if you can find the email, then good for you. You can send me an email. But uh, there's also like a contact form through my website and that'll send me um, notification.
0: You also have a podcast as well, right?
2: I do. I have a podcast called The Peak Human Project. Um, I'm in a bit of a transition stage right now, if I'm honest, Um, with this road trip that I've been on. um, Part of this was like, me trying to, it was, it was a little bit of a mix between um, trying to get out of the house because of quarantine and mm-hmm. also just kind of trying to challenge myself with something that I've never done before. Um, mm-hmm. I've never actually, I, I've been camping once in my life and, um, but I've always wanted to do more of it. And so I thought, what better way than just throw myself into the fire and go <laughs> camping for two and a half months and see all the road, see all the uh, national parks, Um so that's kind of like a challenge uh, to myself and what the Peak Human Project and and is about to me is finding those challenges in, within you and, and sort of becoming a better version of yourself, the best mm-hmm. version of yourself. Mm-hmm. So I interview a lot of people that I find are performing at you know, therapy and, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out, you know, what makes them tick and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's my, that's my podcast. And I'm kind of trying to, turn that into, um, a bigger part of my business as well, as far as how I coach people and the kind of people I coach and trying to find people who are wanting to, um, be more than, than just, uh, especially with training, like do more than just try to get big muscles. Like what are we training for in life? Right. Right. I think a lot of people in, um, in this climate have realized that we're like, a razor's edge away from shit hitting the fan. <clears throat> and so are your big bodybuilding, excuse me, <clears throat> are your big bodybuilding muscles going to serve you well if stuff really does go bad? Right. Or like what kind of stuff are we training for here? You know? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's fun to get on the stage. It's fun to get on the powerlifting platform. And I and I love that. And and in good times, let's use that as a challenge for you. But can we make our training a little more functional? You know what I mean? Right. So that's kind of where I'm coming at these days.
0: Love it. Love it. Yeah. So thank you again for coming on, man. I know uh, I missed Absolutely. you on Sunday and you were yeah. nice enough to come back on Monday. So thank you very much Absolutely, for that.
2: Absolutely, man. It's a pleasure. It's really, really fun talking to you guys. And um, it's my pleasure to be on this podcast because um, when I'm doing my podcast, I'm letting other people talk. Uh-huh. And uh, sometimes I'm, I'm a bit of a rambler if you didn't if you couldn't tell from, <laughs> from uh, this, this interview, um, but it's fun for me to be able to do that. So thank you very much.